Often when we turn to the Word of God, we think about the New Testament, a gospel reading, or a a fine theological uh, encouragement from a New Testament letter. But of course, the Word of God includes all of the Bible, old and new. When we look at the Old Testament, often we hear the prophecies, and usually we might focus on the prophecies pointing to Jesus, or maybe to the end times. But actually throughout the entire Bible, beginning to end, especially in the prophetic books, we see the fulfillment of the complete picture, the fullness of the church, the fullness of the truth, and the fullness of what we understand about our Lord Jesus. That's a bit of what we'll talk about today on Deep in Scripture. Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and uh, you're coming to us from a studio at the Coming Home Network International in Ohio, but you're hearing us over EWTN Radio, and thank you for joining us. Reminder that this radio program is connected to a website, deepinscripture.com, where you'll see all the archived programs, a great variety of information about the Coming Home Network, but you'll see information about today's episode of Deep in Scripture. I've invited to join me on today's program a former guest from the Journey Home program on EWTN, Father John Holloman. Father John was raised a Methodist, became Episcopalian his senior year at Tulane, and then studied for the priesthood after his tour with the Navy. He served 12 years as an Episcopal priest, during which time he studied at Oxford and was an assistant chaplain at Brazenos College. Excuse me. He taught at St. Ignatius Prep in Chicago between churches and then was received into the Catholic Church by Archbishop Hannon in New Orleans. And he sent Father John to Rome for retreat, and he's serving, and he'll be 70 years coming up next month. So he's had a long walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, serving him as a pastor, priest in the Episcopal Church, and now as a priest in the Catholic Church. Uh, He shared his entire journey uh, as much as he could get on the Journey Home program a couple years ago, and that program is available at EWTN. You can listen to the audio on that. And Father will join us in a moment, but uh, the scripture that he chose for today is an Old Testament prophecy, as I alluded to in the beginning of the program. And it's a part of a very significant part of the book of Ezekiel. The the specific verse that he chose was chapter 37, verse 24. Comes in the context of the wider prophecy of Ezekiel. You may be familiar with... uh, other prophetic messages from Ezekiel in the chapter before and chapter 36. There's the familiar passage about uh, being sprinkled with clean water, given new hearts, a new spirit. We're familiar with that passage. The, The prophetic looking forward to the anointing of baptism and the change that that brings in our lives, uh, changing our hearts of stones into truly uh, hearts of flesh, not flesh in the negative sense, but you know, living hearts, no longer hard as stone, but uh, you know, open to the movement of the Spirit. And then after that, there's a very familiar passage: uh, the dry bones in the valley. You have a good old song about dem bones. We know that story. Then after after that is a, a prophetic statement about the union of two sticks when Israel and Judah will come together. And then in the middle of that prophecy is the passage that we're looking at today. And I'll read beginning on verse 20 through verse 28 to give the wider context of our study today. But again, the passage that we're going to pinpoint will be verse 24, and I'll read that in a moment. Let me begin with verse 20. The sticks on which you write you shall hold up before them to see. Tell them, thus says the Lord God, I will take the Israelites from among the nations to which they have come and gather them from all sides to bring them back to their land. I will make them one nation upon the land in the mountains of Israel, and there shall be one prince for them all. Never again shall they be two nations. Never again shall they be divided into two kingdoms. 
No longer shall they defile themselves with their idols, their abominations, and all their transgressions. I will deliver them from all their sins of apostasy and cleanse them so that they may be my people and I will be their God. And then now here's the passage for our focus. My servant David shall be prince over them and there shall be one shepherd for them all. They shall live by my statutes and carefully observe my decrees. And then on to the rest of the chapter. They shall live on the land which I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where their fathers lived. They shall live on it forever, they and their children and their children's children, with my servant David, their prince forever. I will make them with them a covenant of peace. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will multiply them and put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling shall be with them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Thus the nations shall know that it is I, the Lord, who make Israel holy, when my sanctuary shall be set up among them forever. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Grodi's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grodi's book, Journey's Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. Today we're looking at Ezekiel, but we're doing it with Father John Holoman. Hello, Father John. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking the time out of, I know it's a busy schedule, and your service at the local church. Which, which church are you serving right now? Holy Name of Jesus in Sims, Alabama, which is on the edge of Mobile, Alabama. All right. So I, I can't remember when you joined me on the journey home. Were you, is that where you were? You just drove up? I was at uh, St. Bede in Montgomery. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for, for joining us today, and uh, I really do appreciate that, and I appreciate your witness also. Um, because, I mean, how long have you been in ministry, one way or the other? Well, um, my, 25th, my 29th anniversary as a Catholic priest is coming up in October. <laughs> and um, then add 12 to that, so that's um, about uh, 40, yeah. three, 43 years, something like that. Yeah, yeah. well, that's, that's great. Uh, you could have picked all kinds of verses for us to talk about today, but you chose this passage from... From Ezekiel, maybe before we dig in, why this one? Why this passage? Well, uh, at the time I was stationed um, in the northern suburb of Chicago, and uh, one day I went into the bank and was wearing my clericals. I got through with my business. I turned around to go out the door, and this was when you were Episcopalian. No, this is when I was Catholic. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, and these two young men in coat and tie came up to me. Um, as one might expect, they kind of stuck out like sore thumbs. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they introduced themselves as Mormon missionaries. Uh-huh. And um, wanted to know if I was a Catholic priest. I said, yes. They said, well, could we go back to where you live, and, and we would like to just uh, talk with you. I said, well, I get the feeling I'm kind of committed already, but sure, go on, go on back. <laughs> so... Um, we had a very pleasant hour together. It wasn't too confrontational at all. They weren't trying to proselytize. I think they were just curious. Mm-hmm. What this 
alien from outer space known as a Catholic priest <laughs> looked like and thought. Um, but towards the end of the discussion, uh, one of them quoted this verse from Ezekiel, and he just simply read it out and said, um, you know, um, my servant David shall be prince over them, and there shall be one shepherd for them all. And he turned to me and said, what is he talking about? Hmm. And I felt like Philip talking to the eunuch on the road to <laughs> Ethiopia. <laughs> um, I just couldn't believe my ears. It's amazing he asked that question that way, yeah. <laughs> and um, so I said, well, uh, understandably, um, from my point of view, he's talking about the Pope. And, of course, I jumped over something there, but yeah. um, I, the full fulfillment of that would be our Lord himself. Right. But um, he did leave behind Peter and... Uh, with him, the teaching office of the church, which we call the magisterium, which comes from the Latin word magister, meaning teacher, mm -hmm. and with the job, as uh, St. Paul put it, of handing down that which we have received intact, neither added to nor subtracted from the gospel message uh, that our Lord himself gave to the apostles. And um, every generation has had to uh, um, deal with that. Mm -hmm guardianship role. Um, and I think uh, it would be fair to say that the, the extension of um, our Lord's pastor, he's the, he's the Good Shepherd, mm -hmm. and um, certainly we consider him to be a descendant of David, uh, to fulfill the prophecy that um, the throne of David will last forever. Um, I think it would be fair to say that uh, the not the person of the Pope, but the office, uh, the papal office, is there to um, provide one shepherd for everyone. And I think that's a, a lesson we're having to come back and learn again the hard way. Oh, we are. Let's, uh, I, I, boy, I couldn't agree with you more. Let's, let's look at this passage then in its context, if you would, Father. I, I will say that as a Protestant minister, and I was... Uh, first a Congregationalist and then a Presbyterian minister, mostly for the 10 years I served as a pastor, evangelical, persuasion, uh, Calvinist in theology. And f frankly, when I looked at verse 24, and this was one that I still have sitting before you in my Protestant preaching Bible, and it was underlined way back when, that when I looked at verse 24, of course, I looked at that pointing to Jesus and the the problem I saw with that, because it does point to Christ, yeah. but there was a problem in it, and I had a hard time putting a finger on it because it said they shall all have one shepherd. If that only refers to Jesus, then I was confronted with the divisions mm -hmm. in Protestantism, you know? And, and so I wasn't sure how to make the type typology of this to, to point to my little Presbyterian church. And I didn't know for yourself, did you have those same issues when you looked at this before you were a Catholic? Um, I can't say that I looked at it before I was Catholic. Oh. <laughs> okay. Until <laughs> those Mormons it was pointed Mormons out to you. call my attention to it. <laughs> and uh, it, immediately it just fit. Yeah. Um. And so I've, I've always remembered that. We, we parted amicably. I always wondered whatever became of them. But <laughs> um, I, I think this is something that, um, with the increasing secularism of the Western world, mm -hmm. um, I think we're beginning to understand that until Christianity can speak once again with a unified voice, there's no reason why the world should take us seriously. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, the time has come to get our act together. And um, I think that um, a lot of people are beginning to question uh, all this division stuff. Mm -hmm. And well, as Democrats in a republic, we 
we think diversity is a great thing, but um, there are certain things which um, simply doesn't apply. Um, and Americans are very um, upset when you hear the word authority. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's because they don't know how to make a distinction between authoritarian and authoritative. Mm-hmm. It was the scribes and Pharisees who were authoritarian, putting loads on people that they couldn't handle. Um, but Jesus was authoritative. He didn't speak as the scribes and Pharisees. He spoke with authority. Just as if you were a football fanatic, you would respect the opinion of Bayer Bryant. Yeah. <laughs> um, because he had earned his understanding of the game. Um, and so we need to hear that authoritative voice once again and get over all of our hang-ups. Um, and in one way or another, what the job of the magisterium has had to do is every generation, not just ours, there have been people who wanted to subtract from the gospel message the parts that they didn't find congenial. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been those who wanted to add to it mm-hmm. um, to make it more congenial to them um, and in the process water it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and somewhere uh, in between all that, there's got to be something called truth. And that's not a popular word nowadays. <laughs> but um, it's real. Yeah. And it's been my experience um, that if you can have an authoritative voice for the gospel, and I think certainly John Paul II and Benedict XVI has done an excellent job in that regard, um, then it's liberating in a way. Um, people think of it as being um, the Catholic Church is some kind of monolithic uh, totalitarian entity, which is far from that. Um, and in fact, um, most of what goes on is motivated by charity. And I didn't find a whole lot of that in my two previous incarnations as a Methodist and Episcopalian. Um, it came down to who could win a vote at a Senate or... Yeah. Um, and whoever could organize, politically savvy, organize things that go their way, um, quote, one unquote. And the people who lost out were just to be marginalized. Um, and that is not a charity. Um, in fact, I was just reading in, in a, a, a news item just this morning, I won't name the denomination, the Protestant denomination, but one particularly large, though, though uh, shrinking mainline denomination had a recent general meeting of its representative body and voted at that meeting uh, to make recommendations to our government in relationship to Israel. And you know, what's nervous about that, here's this group of people, uh, a small group of people with certain influence voting uh, and then going public with their vote on what our government ought to do in relationship to Israel at a very difficult time, uh, making statements publicly, uh, speaking, quote, authoritatively for a certain group of people that, that hits the internet, hits the news, is heard in Israel, heard around the world, could have big ramifications for our country speaking, quote, authoritatively, when really do they have any authoritative voice at all other than, other than those that gathered in this small meeting? You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like it's, it's a scary responsibility that people take upon themselves yeah. when they consider themselves of some authority. Well, that was one of the reasons I think it was the, the, the um, straw that broke the camel's back for me mm-hmm. with the Episcopal Church was that um, here was this um, general convention presuming to speak prophetically, they said, mm-hmm. um, to the modern world. Um, and who did they speak for? I mean, it, 
it, it was, a, it was a, a, a pimple on the rump of the church. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I didn't consider them to have either the theological um, uh, capacity yeah. uh, or the jurisdictional capacity to be making pronouncements like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that affected hundreds of thousands of people's lives around the world. Yeah. Uh, because people in the pews are expected to trust their leaders. You know, they, that they're following God. So that puts the people in a position to either trust the leaders or or go against them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was in a small parish here in Alabama. Um, there, uh, there was a staunch member of the local Episcopal congregation um, I took communion to his wife. She was Catholic. And um, he just turned to me one day in bewilderment mm-hmm. and said, how are these people saying and doing all these things? This was so un-Anglican for him. And I said, well, because they think they've got the truth and you don't. <laughs> and... Um, I think we have to be very careful about that. I think that's why the Catholic Church has always operated on consensus, not by vote. And the consensus includes, as um, has been described, the tradition with a capital T is the democracy of the dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, it includes all those who have gone before us, not just those who are walking around right now, which is why the Church takes so long to make decisions, for yeah. example, like the... Immaculate Conception, uh, the Assumption, mm-hmm. um, 1,800, 1,900 years. Mm-hmm. And um, the Church has to wait to make sure that there is a true consensus on this issue, um, and not just for one particular spot in time. And, um, and to look at all the ramifications. I mean, if you look at the, uh, I may be getting my early councils mixed up, but, you know, were they... Uh, they declared that Theotokos, uh, you know, Mother of God, when they were declaring that, they were looking at all the ramifications of what that meant for Jesus Christ, what it meant for the Trinity, what it, you know, how did it fit theologically, the ramifications for our lives. They were, they, they were truly discerning, not figuring it out by reason, but discerning what is the Holy Spirit guiding us on. Yeah. And, you know, the little groups that gather every summer to decide for these different denominations like you said, it's often it's politics, or who has the loudest voice, or who has the most. And there's a, a psalm, Psalm 11, verse three, always comes to mind, where the psalmist says, "If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do?" Yeah. You know, well, each individual decides. Well, what are the foundations? Are they destroyed? And if I think they're destroyed, well, what should I do about it? Well, there we have chaos. And, and we see that running. We're going to take a break now, Father. When we get back, continue with our discussion. I'd also like to look at, again, that verse 24 and and see if you've seen what I have, and, and that is that when people look at the verse like that and trying to see how it's fulfilled, if they don't want to go in the direction of the Catholic Church, they almost end up in the entire other direction, which is that Jesus is merely Lord of every individual. And it's up to every individual to decide which ordinance and which statute to observe because it's, it's not a church that it's important. It's my relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about that when we get back. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and I'm uh, joined today by Father John Holloman, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. Next time on EWTN Live. The Knights of Peter Claver is the largest African-American lay Catholic organization whose mission is to help the poor among us. Join Father Mitch when he talks with Bishop Joseph N. Perry about the Knights of Peter Claver. That's on the next EWTN Live. 
EWTN Live with Father Mitch Pacwa is seen and heard around the world. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and uh, you're hearing us on EWTN, coming to you from Coming Home Network International. Our guest today is Father John Holloman. We're looking at Ezekiel chapter 37, the wider context, but specifically verse 24. Um, you know, Father, as we were talking, that uh, this struggle with authority, especially authority of the church, over the centuries, people thinking they see problems and they got the solution, and so we've ended up with, you know, thousands of different independent groups, all who think they have a corner on it, and often they use a verse like this to say, well, yeah, Jesus is my Lord and, and I follow him. Church is not important. Uh, did you deal with that both now as a priest but also as a Methodist and Episcopalian? Well, when I first made it known that I was uh, becoming Catholic, um, a number of my confrères would say, but how can you tolerate papal infallibility? <laughs> and I said, a lot easier than I can tolerate the infallibility of every individual believer. <laughs> because at least the Pope has restrictions on what he can say. Mm-hmm. He can't just say whatever comes to mind or whatever he feels strongly about. Uh, he has to speak for the whole Church. And that includes the whole tradition of the Church. Um, and uh, he's not fabricating truth out of whole cloth, as it were. Um, it has to be um, vetted, as it were. Anything he publishes writes has to be vetted to make sure that it doesn't in any way contradict the teaching that's been handed down to us from the Apostles. Um, and in that sense, um, it's not a question of voting. You don't vote on truth anyway. Um, 20,000 Frenchmen can be wrong. (laughs) But, um, I'm impressed that, um, our Lord made a promise to send the Holy Spirit to guide you in all truth, and I will be with you until the end of the ages. Now, only the Son of God could keep a promise like that. (laughs) And if he has indeed kept his promise, then he has um, been with his church through thick and thin, even time, we're not always 100% correct, Mm -hmm. but um, I, I came across something recently that impressed me because, um, you know, the whole issue of slavery when it was coming up. Yeah. Um, and where did the, where was the Catholic Church and all that? Um, I just came across this recently. Pope Eugenius IV in 1435 denounced slavery when it was first getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that the, we should not be enslaving these people. And Pope Paul III in 1537 uh, asserted that these people are indeed true human beings, and in no way can we presume to reduce them to slavery. Now, um, the Church hasn't always been on the right side of that issue, but it certainly was. I mean, the popes were prophetic there. Right. Um, And did anyone listen to them? Of course not. Uh, greed took over yeah. for Protestants as well as Catholics. Yeah, in fact, just in the last couple of years, I've done a similar study because I've been working on some research of uh, the, the Catholic Church in America during the American Revolution. So I've been looking at that period. During that time, our first bishop and the Jesuits in Maryland all had plantations and owned slaves. But in my process of, of doing the research, it, it was an eye-opener to me to see that the the popes had spoken out clearly against slavery, but often church leaders, even Catholic kings in Spain and Portugal and even France, you know, would take those statements and put them aside and, and make the statements fit their life or the, the way they wanted 
to have their power. And even in America, after the revolution, uh, into the 1800s, Catholics, laity and priests owned slaves and even defended it from Scripture, uh, but really were ignoring what the Holy Father had said all along, as you say. There was a Catholic priest in New Orleans in the 1850s, before the war broke out, who denounced slavery from the pulpit. And his bishop silenced him. (laughs) I think maybe perhaps more out of concern for the controversy than the the truth of the issue. But, um, yeah, the Catholic Church is not a monolith. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And uh, people do uh, ignore papal teaching from time to time at their peril, I think. You know, and I think that's a good thing to invite you to talk about because... We can look at that passage and we can apply it or use it to contrast our separated brethren. But ain't it true that there are laity and priests and religious who uh, who aren't comfortable with authority either? Oh, yeah, especially in this country. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't long ago when I was at a, a meeting of... Uh, actually a high school reunion, and I met with a person who was a lifelong Catholic, and I had always assumed was on the same page as me, and, and the comment I got was, won't it be good someday when the American church breaks away from Rome and can, can get rid of some of these silly rules? <laughs> and, you know, I'm thinking, no, this, this person's thinking like a Protestant. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's, it's a sad state of affairs, but... Um, I'm sure our Lord must have known what he was doing when he started all of this. <laughs> yes. Uh, he had to have seen that uh, things would never be smooth sailing. You know, let me ask you, Father, what, what does a verse like verse 24, in fact, this whole context, uh, what does it inf- say to you as a priest? How does it inform you as you seek to live out your calling as a priest? Well, it reassures me. I mean, when I preached, um, I was one of those high church Anglicans. Mm-hmm. Uh, we believed in all seven sacraments, and I could preach confession until I was blue in the face. <laughs> and um, it carried no authority whatsoever beyond my ability to persuade. Mm-hmm. Now, in the Catholic Church, I may not like the priest next door, or he may not like me, but we're on the same page when it comes to the basics. Mm-hmm. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. And um, now I know that whatever I say, uh, hopefully I pray, I try to keep it uh, kosher, um, that I'm not speaking for myself. I'm speaking for the church. And I can have my private opinions, but I'm not going to use them in the pulpit. Right. You, you should not. And uh, there are some that do, but as you accept your call of the priesthood, you recognize that responsibility of, uh, of passing on to the people that you say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Um, the reason the Church has always tried to preserve the tradition of the Gospel message intact is because that is what saves and if we subtract from it or add to it, we're going to end up with something that cannot save. And we're not doing anybody a favor. Um, and that's why I think it's so important. Um, people have said to me, what is the hardest thing you've had to learn about becoming a Catholic? And I said, well, the hardest lesson is learning that it's not about me. It's about Him meeting yeah. our Lord. Um, we always put ourselves in the way, but you know, mm-hmm. um, people would claim all sorts of things as being inspired by the Holy Spirit when it's really just them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got a, a whole mechanism of uh, the two thousand year tradition of the Church, which Americans who are you know, let's solve a problem, let's get out there and do it and finish it and get it over with, you know. Very impatient. Um, 
And because the church moves so slowly, but by consensus mm-hmm. over the centuries, um, they can say, oh, well, that's, that's old-fashioned, that's out of, you know, that's no longer um, with it. And I was remembering something that Michael Ramsey, the Archbishop of Canterbury, said once. And he said, I'm, I'm so reactionary, I'm now considered avant-garde. <laughs> and I, I, I think that, you know, what one generation considers reactionary, the next generation sees it as a cutting edge. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a, that, I'd like you to discuss that second half of that verse. Uh, they shall follow my ordinances and be careful to observe my statutes. Uh, you know, focus in on on on, uh, on what what was prophetically meant by my. How does a de- person determine which ordinances, which statutes are in fact the Lord's? I mean, that is the confusion we have running all around us today. Mm-hmm. Well. Of course, the simple answer is yeah. we've got the magisterium. <laughs> um, but maybe let's uh, explain it to. Let's say we have a listener that's, you know, Baptist or Presbyterian, or and they, they just don't see it. Uh, how is it that we believe we can trust the magisterium to be the one to let us know that it's God's statutes and ordinances? I don't know that it's something that you can. Uh, definitively prove mm-hmm. it's a part of our faith it's built into our faith that Jesus keeps his promises and even though I may disagree with some positions being taken by um, the church on certain issues uh, I have to be humble enough to realize that I may be disagreeing with our Lord himself <laughs> and um, that um, who am I um, to try and speak uh, for our Lord when it's me that's talking? Mm-hmm. It has to be Him. And we've got to get out of the way and let Him talk through us if, we, if He will let us. Um, and that's not always easy. That's not always obvious. Um, there's always an element of trial and error. I've always been very hard-headed and very stubborn <laughs> and very independent. And uh, I can remember when the a time when um, the idea of papal infallibility just gave me um, the shakes to think about it, you know, <laughs> how arrogant that is, you know. Well, it's not arrogant if you think about it that he's, Pope's not speaking for himself. He's got the whole church to think about, not just North America. And his decision is as freeing as was that very first consul in Jerusalem, right, when the church was divided over what do we require of new converts that come from a non-Jewish background? Do they have to become Jews? Do, Do they have to go through all these rules? And and, you know, before the consul made its decision, which was Peter speaking first and the consul agreeing with Peter, before that they were trying, they were arguing and back and forth. And was it going to be democratic? Was it more voices one direction or the other? But once Peter expressed his opinion and, and the bishop of Jerusalem, James, agreed and they all agreed, then there was a statement on what is the ordinance of God now which was, in fact, different than the Old Testament rules. Mm-hmm. So we see the, church, the authority of the church changing a long-standing rule of the Old Testament. But once that's in place and delivered to the churches, it's freeing. And it's a fulfillment of a lot of things I've seen in the Old Testament, talking about that the, the calling, the vocation of God's people was to make his name known throughout the world. <laughs> and they had lost sight of that. Or perhaps not entirely, because I understand that Judaism at the time of our Lord was probably one of the few times in his history where they were actually out proselytizing. <laughs> they had some, what they called God-fears, I think that's what... Yeah. yeah. Um, 
and um, but even that was you have to conform to our way of seeing things um, and what the Council of Jerusalem did I think was just open up the whole thing to um, what was in Implicit right there in the Old Testament all along. Mm-hmm. I didn't separate you from the world just to make you my pet project. <laughs> you got a job to do. And it's not confined just to you as a people or you as a nation. It's meant for the whole world. And um, Well, you know, they were having problems at that first council that are still the same problems today, and that is that the, the ultra-left or the ultra-right always form a challenge against the authority of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, the ultra-left wants to, uh, to, to loosen everything. The ultra-right wants it to be in, in even more stone than it ever has been before. Uh, and but yet recognizing the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit leading the magisterium. I mean, one example, maybe one change that just comes to mind that's happened in our lifetime that maybe uses an example of, of the church having the authority to, quote, change something, but yet not really change it. And that is uh, the Friday observance, the meatless Friday observance. Mm-hmm. You know, today there are, there are those on on the ultra right that 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 are going to point out that the church has made a radical change and it's not the church anymore. Then the radical left would think, see, we shouldn't have had to do it in the first place, and so now there's no abstinence at all on Friday for some people. You know, what was the church doing when it makes that decision as the shepherd for us? Well, that was a, a disciplinary mm-hmm. uh, item. It had nothing to do with matters of faith and morals. Yep. Uh, it was a question of discipline. And the church is easy, easy, is able to change the discipline much easier than it can the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Um, notice, though, however, that they, they still say uh, it's recommended. If you want to follow this uh, discipline, um, feel free to do so. Nobody's saying you can't. Um, some people, I, I like, um, um, during Advent and Lent, I like to use the um, Latin versions of the, the Holy Holy and the Lamb of God, mm-hmm. sing, you know, uh, the Latin versions of that, mm-hmm. just to make a different uh, note, a more somber note for those seasons. And uh, I've often had people come up to me and say, the church got rid of that with Vatican II. <laughs> and I say, well, you s- no, they didn't, actually. Uh, the Latin is still the official language of the church. And if you go to church in St. Peter's in Rome on a Sunday morning, uh, the Mass will be in Latin. Oh, one lady said, that's the vernacular over there. <laughs> I yeah. said, no, it isn't. <laughs> they speak Italian over there. <laughs> um and it's just a lot of a misunderstanding of yeah. what, what came out of the council. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And, you know, the Old Testament you'll find in the Psalms, you know this, Father, that, that there are all kinds of statements where we hear the Lord saying, I don't want your sacrifices, don't give me another bull. What I want is your your heart, you know, thanksgiving. And But in, when you read the context, he's not telling them to get rid of sacrifices. What he's saying, that if you're going to sacrifice, I want them to come from true conversion of heart. Yeah. That's what Friday abstinence was all about, right? I mean, it wasn't about not eating beef. It was about making a sacrifice, Yeah, a change of heart. And so, you know, that's what the Lord, I mean, the, the church is trying to get us back to by taking our focus off the legalism that sometimes we got into and missing the point of this great discipline that the, the church wants for us. Let's take one more break, Father. When we come back, how about a few thoughts uh, for our audience, on uh, especially those that may have a difficulty accepting the authority of the magisterium as the continuity of this verse. In other words, as the one shepherd we see there in the Bishop of Rome. How can we move closer to accepting the reality of that in our life and seeing it really make a difference in our walk with Jesus? All right. 
You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined today by Father John Holloman, and you're hearing us on EWTN, the Global Catholic Radio Network. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. The Coming Home Network International and Marcus Grodi invite you to join us for our 8th Annual Deep in History Conference coming this fall to Columbus, Ohio. This year, our focus will be on the authenticity of the sacred scriptures as we ask, how firm is your foundation? Join us the weekend of October 22nd as we bring together another exciting list of guest speakers. For more information, go to deepinhistory.com or call us at 800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Father John Holloman. Uh, Father, at the very end of John, when uh, the resurrected Jesus encounters Peter, he says three times, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, something that we have no record of Jesus saying to any of the other apostles or to anyone else. Uh, And there's lots of verses we could use to defend the the role that Simon Peter was given by Jesus uh, as the shepherd under him. How about some closing thoughts to encourage our audience to recognize the beauty that we've been given in this shepherd? Well, it's not the sort of thing that's going to convince anyone through arguments. Yeah, right. It is ultimately a matter of faith. That is ultimately a gift. Um. Peter and Martha could look at Jesus and say, in him I see an intimacy with God so profound that in him I see God. Uh, Mm -hmm. Others saw him as an enemy who had to be destroyed. Um, So I don't know that there's any magic formula you can do for this, but Peter made his famous confession. Jesus says, this is not given to you by man. This is given to you by my Father. And ultimately, I think that's where it's going to come from. And so the, the process may be kind of messy. It certainly was in my case. <laughs> um, groping around to, to finding out what, um, what's, what's genuine and what is truly lasting. Um, but I, all I can say is it was worth all of the blood, sweat, and tears. You know, you give that example earlier of the, the Mormon missionaries that came to you and talked with you, and then, you know, let's assume, give them the benefit of the doubt out of their their openness of heart. They, they really imitated that Ethiopian eunuch by saying, you know, what does this mean? And that Acts story has the Ethiopian eunuch reading the Bible, so the Bible alone wasn't sufficient, and he turns to Philip, which mm-hmm. is the church. I mean, there we see the the openness that you're talking about of our willingness to understand. All right, church, help me understand this position that that Peter has passed on to those that that are leading the church for us. Um, and at some point, and this is part of the mystery of conversion, um, that has to sink in. Mm-hmm. That. Um, I think we Americans are so enraptured with this Horatio Alger myth, the self-made person, yeah. <laughs> um, that um, even our movies have the lone hero, like the lone ranger, who goes out and does everything and sets the world right. Um, 
the uh, we we just you know life don't work that way, and we're not monads, totally independent. Mm-hmm. Um, we are very dependent upon God, and at some point we simply have to come to the realization that I may not have all the answers, and. Uh, with 2,000 years of dealing with God and with human beings, the Church should have acquired some kind of wisdom in that. Um, the, um, there are always going to be individuals who are disasters, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've known some priests who were very, very unpastoral and, and dismissed their flock as being idiots. Yeah. Um, but um, for everyone you'll find like that, you're going to find many, many more laity and clergy who are genuinely trying to serve the Lord and in their own imperfect way. But at least we know that the Lord can make up for our failings and flaws. Yeah, and we hear about the flawed ones because they're the ones that make the news, the ones oh, yeah. that are just serving the Lord out of a humble heart. We may not ever hear about them. Because that's what they're doing. They're serving the Lord with a humble heart. Well, I like to say that uh, the, uh, God likes to leave the headlines for the devil. <laughs> so that he can get the real work done behind the scenes without any fanfare. Um, well, Father, as we close today, could you give the, the audience your blessing? Heavenly Father, help us to see your truth in the midst of our confusion midst of our blindness, in the midst of our selfishness. Break through the walls of our hearts so that we may come to know you, and above all, um, to be able to respond to your call to each and every one of us, to follow you both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father Holloman, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, our blessings with, for you, you know, on your continued ministry. And thank you for your faithfulness and your faithful witnesses here on, on the Deep in Scripture program. Thank you. Well, thank you, Father. And thank, thank you, you who've joined us today. Uh, I hope that this was an encouragement to you, that you heard something today that may have opened your heart a bit to the fullness of Jesus Christ and his church. Uh, And as Father has reminded us that the authority of the church is a gift from God, uh, and it's a freeing gift that enables us uh, to hear God fully. And so we're grateful for that. So thank you for joining us. God bless you. See you next time. God bless you.